today we have a special episode for you guys. We have two retired police officers. We have Mike and Corey. Uh, Corey, um, I'll let them talk about themselves, and then we'll kind of just get into the uh, get into a conversation. I don't think we really have anything set planned that we want to talk about. Uh, but Corey, go ahead and introduce yourself to the uh, Two Hats Podcast family. All right. Well, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. Uh, like Chris said, my name is Corey. I'm with I was a former Virginia State Trooper, uh, and I'm a retired Navy Chief Petty Officer. I did just a little over 20 years in the United States Navy. Uh, from then, from there, uh, I uh, started my own business. I have my own uh, restoration company now, and uh, also started to uh, ask Mike to partner up with me to start the uh, the brothers in law. You know, with everything going on the last several years between the police and, and the communities, I just got tired of it and seeing good cops. Uh, taking a lot of heat for, for things that, you know, they had nothing to do with. So, and also uh, coming up with the acronym of CALM, which I'm sure we'll talk about throughout this podcast, which stands for comply, answer questions, listen, and move on. So we believe that if you follow these four uh, principles here, if you get stopped by the police, there is no reason for you uh, to end up hurt or dead. That means for the citizen goes and the law enforcement officer goes. All right. And so that's that's our message uh, to our viewers and, and heck, actually to the whole country. Uh, we need to start preaching this calm uh, acronym uh, to the people. So that's our, our mission and where we're headed with the brothers in law. All right. Thank you. And just for you guys listening, brothers in law is a uh, podcast that's available on YouTube. You guys can go ahead and look it up. Uh, brothers is spelled b-r-o-t-h-a-s in law and all right uh mike why don't you going to introduce yourself to the family sure uh, uh glad to be on the show here uh my name is mike bradley uh Corey and i childhood friends we grew up together from canton ohio um uh i i was in the i'm an army veteran I was in the army for six years and uh, uh got to a point where i didn't knew i didn't want to make a career out of military so I got out and I became a police officer. I'm now a retired police officer, 26 years in Northern California. Love the job, uh, ups and downs to it, just like everything else. And when Corey hit me up about doing the show, Brothers in Law, you know, I thought it was interesting. And, and I had always had the attitude of in spite of, I mean, or not in spite of, but based on what's been going on the past couple of years with police and in and, and and the community, I just wanted to at least try to educate the community on on what to do when they interact with police. Because a lot of times the basic citizens, they don't know the basics of what they're supposed to do. You know, the, right. the other not too long ago, my mom, you know, she had got stopped by the police and she got out of the car and was, you know, flustered. And based on what's been going on in the media and the perceptions that they have to have in the media, she was actually afraid, you know, of what to do, of, you know, she really didn't know. So that's why I thought it was a good idea to hook up with Corey and Corey, Corey asked me to do it. And, and, and I'm all on board for it. All right. I uh, just got to give you a little background on myself and on Brittany. Um, I served five years as a juvenile probation officer in Western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. I did that for five years. And then I moved down South where I'm now an adult probation and parole officer down South. And I've been working this for about three years now 
and specifically I operate a um, a drug treatment court. So that's my special my specialty that I operate. Brittany. Okay, and me, I was an adult probation officer for almost five years in Texas, and I quit that last July, July 2020, during the pandemic. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so now I create content online, letting people know about probation and parole with Chris. Um, and Chris, how long have we been doing our podcast? How long has it been now? Oh my gosh. It's, it's probably been maybe about six months or so. I feel like it's been six years because Chris, <laughs> Chris gives me the blues. Y'all need to go listen to some of those old episodes. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I do. All right, all right. So um, I want to start start off real quick, and like I said, we don't have any set uh, set questions, but I want to ask you guys, what kind of experience do you guys have working with probation and parole officers, if any? Well, for me. Um, uh, not a whole lot, to tell you the truth. I mean, most of the time when we back on the street, when we dealt with somebody that's on probation, I mean, at the most, we're looking for probation violations. Uh, but even then, they, they've changed a lot in California as far as the things that we can do with probationers, as far as arresting them and booking them into jail. Uh, for instance, you can only uh, book a probationer in jail if they have a, a second associated crime with it. You can't, you no longer can book them just on a probation violation. So um, as far as the probation officers go, that if, if I came into contact with a probation officer, it's like after the fact. So if I book somebody on probation for something uh, and they have a, also a probation violation, I'll usually call a probation officer and let them know. Uh, hey, I just booked your, you know, your guy for this, that, and the other. Uh, basically, just to give them a heads up. Um, other than that, every once in a while, we'll have a probation officer that will want assistance from the police to do maybe a probation search at, at homes and stuff like that. They'll want a uniform presence there. Um, uh, but that's about the gist of it. Uh, not, not a whole lot of interaction with probation officers on a daily basis. Yeah, that's pretty much positive. What's that? So were they at least positive? Oh, yeah. I, I can't say that I've ever had a probation officer that, you know, wasn't positive or anything like that. They're pretty, you know, I mean, because they, they want a specific thing from you and you want to just notify them of what's going on. Or or sometimes um, you have it where a probationer has some conditions that may not be listed or something like that in the system. So the probation officer would be the best place to go to make sure you know what specific conditions they have. Um, it's been my experience with probation officers that they've always been forthright. They've always been, you know, very cooperative with whatever I need. And I, I try to be cooperative with whatever they need when I do interact with them. So overall, a positive, positive interactions with probation officers. That's great. Corey? Uh, well... <laughs> I, I'm a little bit different because, uh, you know, operating at the, the state level, you know, we do things a little bit different. I really, if I had any interaction with somebody had a, a parole violation, uh, we addressed that issue. But my primary issue is whatever our interaction uh, resulted in. Uh, like Mike said, <clears throat> um, our relationship with them is still, you know, a great relationship. Now, I might have some interaction with them uh, in the court aspect of it uh talking with the, the pro officer after uh a case is over 
and and make sure we have all our I's dotted and T's crosses in that aspect. But uh, it, I mean, over the years, I mean, it maybe half a dozen times I had, you know, some type of interaction with probation. I mean, we, it's, it's, uh, we always have a positive uh, working relationship, you know, with us. So, I mean, it's never been a, a real issue or a button heads uh, with the two uh, agencies. All right, that's good. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, you know, if you look at listen to some of our previous episodes, talking to some other officer, other probation officers that we've interviewed interviewed from across the country, you know, sometimes the relationship their department and local police have can be strained. Um, and it kind of, I think, talks, talk, uh, touches a little bit about what Mike was saying is that sometimes the issue is um, there's what the probation officer wants and there's what the police officer wants. And sometimes they don't understand what the powers each person has, what each person can do, and what the objective is of both parties. You know, so, um, you know, like, uh, you know, if we, we need help with a search, you know, sometimes the departments are like, we don't want to be bothered with it. As opposed to there's some departments that are, okay, we'll be there. No problem whatsoever. Um, and then, of course, there's times where the police will contact the probation and say, hey, listen, you know, we've been watching your guy. We think he's doing X, Y, Z. Hey, can you guys go ahead and do a search on him? And it's like, oh, well, you guys don't want, you don't really want anything to do with us until you want our, uh, our Fourth Amendment right. waiver powers. Right. You know? they, they, they don't want to do the report. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to do the paper. paper. You know what I'm saying? This is true. I understand. So it's kind of like, you know, we're just trying to, uh, you know, work on trying to build that relationship and trying to, you know, wrinkle out those uh, differences. But of course, the problem is that things are different everywhere you go across the country. The rules and regulations are different. Like, I, I understand from Mike, Mike, what you're saying out in California, you guys have access to their probation conditions and you guys can look into that and see if they're violating. Where mm -hmm. I'm at, the local police don't have that. The only thing they have is they, if they run that person's name through the system, they'll see that they're on probation. They'll see yeah. what their probation officer is and that probation officer's contact information. Yeah. But they don't really have, they don't know what their conditions are, what they have to do um, outside of, you know, the standard conditions of probation stuff you know wow, um, wow. that's so normally yeah so normally what i would get is sometimes i get a phone call from an officer to leave me a voice message on my office say hey i came across your guy um this and this happened um i just want to let you know um but there's a lot of times where i just won't get any kind of phone call and the next thing i know i can alert my guys in the jail you know so and that's what we try to avoid. We don't want to, we don't want to drop you with that surprise. I, I'd rather call you beforehand and say, just let you know and give you a heads up. Hey, I booked your guy for this, that, and the other. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's interesting that y'all don't have the police don't have access to the conditions because that's that's the main part of pro, uh, probation. Uh, if, without knowing the conditions, how can how can any action be taken? I know in our in California, like I was saying, you can't book somebody specifically on a probation violation. But if you arrest them for something else, you can add on that probation violation as an additional charge if you know what those violations are. So that's big right there. You see, that's that's just like I said, it's one of those um those law differences from state to state. Because yeah. here in where I'm at, the local police, they don't, they don't have access to conditions. Too. They can't violate anybody. Only the probation officer can violate or the parole officer can violate them for their conditions. Now, mm -hmm. of course, the police can arrest them on new charges all day long. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but if it's like, you know, they have a 
they say one of their conditions is they have a curfew. They have to be in the house by seven o'clock and you're interacting with them at 10 p.m. You, you know, local police can't say, well, I'm going to arrest you for that. because They wouldn't know. They just wouldn't know. Only thing they would know is when they run that person's name that they are on probation and who their probation officer is and the probation officer's phone number and email address. That's about it. And of course, if you're contacting them at 10 o'clock at night, I'm asleep. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it in the morning. Uh, Mm-hmm. Are your agencies doing anything to to bridge that gap to where, you know, if you have that type of interaction, and it's more or less to be probably to protect the uh, the parolee, so he doesn't get any more charges, you know, trumped up on him uh, in, in that instance. So do you do the two entities trying to work together to work this thing out? I don't believe so. I've never heard of anything like that where I think it's kind of I think everybody tries to stay in their own lane until they need that the interaction. It's like those that image of those two circles that overlap. It's kind of like you stay in your part of the circle, I stay in my part Mm -hmm. of the circle but when they they overlap that's kind of when we'll do something. Brittany, how's how's it in Texas, Brittany? It's pretty much the same as where you are. Like the police, they don't have access to any of those type of documents on probationers. They don't know what's going on. Wow. Wow. And I think, in my opinion, I think that's important for probation and police to have a, some kind of communicate ongoing communication, uh, open relationship with each other. Because the police are, most of the time, are going to be the first ones in contact with the probationer when they do something wrong, when or if they do something wrong. So the informa- that information, such as violations, probation violations, I mean, a lot of times, not a lot, but, but I shouldn't say a lot. There have been times where I've come across a probationer and because I didn't have an additional charge on them, it might be a situation where I know they, they're, they're, they were getting ready to do something bad, you know, either about to commit a crime or something like that. And I know that they are on probation there have been times when I have called the probation officer and they can't, like you said, they can violate the probation right there based on what I'm saying to them over the phone. And they say, yeah, go ahead and violate it. You know, but I can't do that obviously without the probation officer's approval because it's the probation officer that's doing it. And I don't have an additional crime that I'm arresting the probationer for. Uh, Now that doesn't happen often. I don't have that situation often. Most of the time, I'm usually arresting them for something else in addition to a probation violation. But that 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 is important, I think, for those out here in California. It's it's nice to have to be open with the probation officers, a good relationship with probation and police because they they work together on things that even though they may not be physically together, right? They still the information is is joined. It should be, in my opinion, you know. Now, Corey, with you being a state trooper, is it is it common for you that you would run across uh, probationer or probationers or prolees that have um, active warrants while you're conducting your traffic stops? No, I I would say if you, I was more of a city guy, so. Um, now, if you were a trooper that was assigned to like a county uh, area as well as uh, portions of the interstate, uh, then, yeah, you're more likely to to run into that type uh, of someone who's, who's on, on probation. Um, 
majority of people that I would come in contact with and deal with would be our, what we call our SORs, uh, sexual offenders registry. And the, 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 uh, we even call like the, the parole that they'll be on, uh, that they have to follow by. So that, that was more our thing. We kind of really stuck more in, in line with that, but very seldom, you know, what I get with somebody that had a, uh, well, if they have an active warrant, that's different. You're going to jail, <laughs> hands down. Uh, there, there's no, no cutting through that, but uh, we would just, you know, handle it accordingly. Um, just like you, you are, it's, it's, it's very limited on, on information. That's why I was asking, you know, are they working on, you know, like Mike was saying, the lines of communication uh, to make it, it, it better because you know if you get you're very limited on the information because a lot of times i just ask hey do you have your paperwork on you uh and sometimes it works out they have it on them and you know we can weed through the process because like last thing we want to do is spend the rest of our you know shift and lock up um you know wasting time well of course it keeps you off the road but <laughs> that's just more paperwork you got to get involved in and and taking up more of your time and possibly carrying you to, to overtime but you know that's okay some in some points um but yeah i mean it it varies i mean i, I it'd be hard to put a percentage on it what what that that interaction is um to your yeah. point yeah I, I, for us i mean yeah it was i don't know common might be a strong word but every once in a while you come across a traffic stop with somebody on probation or something like, or you come in contact with somebody on probation and they do have a warrant. Um, uh, yeah, that, that happens. I mean, in, in that case, yeah, you can, but you don't have, obviously you don't have to have an, an additional charge to book them if they have a warrant. Um, so if they got a warrant, you know, uh, but I, you know what, I, in, in that case, when it's a warrant maybe by the probation officer or something like that, um, I may not call a probation officer because the probation officer, they're going to find out that they were booked obviously at some point. Um, so it's not something where I surprisingly came across this person and they were doing something unrelated to their probation. Um, so yeah, it happened. It happens when you come across people, you book them on, on probation warrants. Um, that's that, that, that can happen in California. Um, so next thing I want to talk about, um, is you know for those watching on YouTube, of course, those definitely um you know listen to our other platforms like Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Can't see our screens right now, but we're all all four of us are minorities. We're all African American. How important do you think it is that African Americans and minorities are represented in the small enforcement field? Because I'm, I'm I'm proud that all four of us are African American. I like I like that. I think uh, for me, that's very big. I think um, there needs to be more of a conscious effort of including African-Americans in all forms of law enforcement. And, you know, for me, since I was a patrol officer, basically a street cop, I'm going to say um, I would really like to see more black folks at, on the street, on the street cop level, because uh, those are the first ones that you're going to come into contact when you call the police. That's the first face you're going to see. Uh, that officer is going to be the one that's going based on his or her perception is going to react to a particular situation, how they will react to it. 
Uh, I think that's important and a conscious effort needs to be made to hire African-Americans. Now, one of my questions is why the, the other side to that coin, <clears throat> I think, is you have a lot of African-Americans that are hesitant or just have no desire to be police officers. Um, and I've talked to some like that and their reasonings were based on history. I mean, they, they just think that it's a, the police are just historically bad and they historically are racist. And I can't find a department that's going to have uh, enough black people for me to go work there. Um, things like that. I mean, and we got to get away from that. I want to see you no know, on all departments. You can't look at a department and say, well, that department is, is too, too white for lack of better words. Okay. Um, get on the department's, Get out there, get on the street in uniform. I want to see more African-Americans as cops uh, on the street dealing with with issues. I think that's very important. We got to get away from just every time you call the police, you have a 90 percent chance of a white face showing up. You know, now I think that that's starting to change, but it definitely hasn't changed enough. Uh, We still need more of that uh, to come. I, I would agree with that. And on the state level for, for us, it, they've, they've gotten a, a lot better uh, at that hiring um, more minorities. Um, so we have, we have a, we had a, a very strong presence of, of African-Americans in, in our office. Um, but we, we, but when you stretch this out, it doesn't seem like that, you know, there's, there's a, a lot. And, you know, but the thing is, we like to see that and we know we'll be more respected in the communities uh, for that. But the, the ones who aren't going to give a rat's ass, oh, I can't even say that, can I? Those who aren't really going to care about that are, are the criminals, right? They're not going to care what color you are. They're, they're still going to violate, right? But the overall uh, citizen, it, it, it it will make you know the world a difference because I know I've done traffic stops and people have said, "You mean well? Thank God you black." <laughs> I'd say, "Well, what is, what difference does that make?" I said, "You do something stupid, you coming out that car." So I mean, I don't at that point I don't care what color you are, right? Don't do nothing stupid, you ain't gonna have no problems. So, but you know, that's the mentality of some of the the people in the community. You know, like Mike was saying, you know, you, you want. Let's see how, how I can say this without getting in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> Careful, boy. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, man. Because I, I ain't gonna no, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, <laughs> and that's a that this is a like you say, it's meant to be a wide open question. Obviously, yeah. Uh, it's just that you know, you just it's important to get that perception away. That perception of when I call the police, it's the white guy showing up all the time. Historically, it has always been the white guy showing up, okay? And when you have a situation, particularly in a Black family, and I hate to I hate to do this as far as, you know, a Black family scenario might be different than a white family scenario purely because of the race. That's not the case, okay? But when you're showing up to a family who has an issue, um, historically, you have always seen the white face that shows up when you call 911, you know, and there may be some people that naturally have 
you know, a negative perception of the white guys showing up to handle their problem. You see what I'm saying? Um, I think we got to, we just got to get away from that. I think it should be less of a percentage of that than it is now. That's all. And, and, and I, it's important, not just black folks, uh, we're black. So we're talking about black people, but minorities as a, in general, it's important to have more minorities in the police force. Um, and, and just a conscious effort should be made to make sure that that's right. In the agency that I was in, for a long time, I was actually the only black officer in that whole department for a long time. Not the only minority, but the only black officer in that whole department. Um, that has since changed. Uh, but it was and it wasn't because of lack of trying to hire black people. You know, I had an agency where we were actively trying to hire black people. Uh, it's just that they either weren't interested in coming Um whatever they're or they couldn't pass a background investigation or something along those lines which that applies to everybody okay not just black people but you know there are multiple reasons why we just couldn't get uh black faces on the department uh for whatever reason and it so it, i think it's like i said on the other side of that coin i think you got some other black people got to realize if you want to be a police officer be a police officer, and there are good and positives and, and there are positives and negatives to being a police officer to that career. But it's definitely not a career like everything else. It's definitely a, a very different and specific kind of career. And but there, it's a good career. So mm-hmm. I try to encourage anybody who's who is is a person of color who wants to be in law enforcement. Uh, I try to encourage them. Today, it's difficult. It's obviously difficult to be a police officer today. Um, A lot of changes are going to come, I think, uh, compared to what they were. Um, But it's still, I think, uh, a a good career for someone to get into starting around the ages of, well, 24, 25, (laughs) around that age group. Um, You know, it's important. Yeah, I can definitely... uh... Real quick, Corey. I can, I, Mike, I can relate to you when I first started probation in uh, Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania, which is right below Pittsburgh. We're talking mm-hmm. a, a rural county that is, I think it was 95% Caucasian. Mm-hmm. In my department, there, uh, there was only two of us out of, I think, 35 probation officers. There's only two African American officers. And I think mm-hmm. we're, we're just it. There were no other minorities. It was just me and her. And I think yeah. she started six months, six months before me. So it wasn't like they had a track record here. Um, And of course, they assigned me, the only black male officer in the whole department, to the one inner city that we had in the county. So, Mm. but you know what? I I enjoyed it. Um, I felt like I was more relatable to those juveniles. Um, You know, when they they saw black faces, their PO, they kind of relate. You know, I try to be a role model to them to show them, you know, you don't have to, you know, Go down the path you're going. It's still, it's still, you know, early enough for you guys to make a change, and I still kind of keep that going now. Even though where I'm at now, the county I'm in now is the opposite. I want to say it's like 65% African American, um, probably like 30% Hispanic, and the rest Caucasians. And um, most of my department now is well, in the county I am is mostly African American. So it's a, it's a big switch from where I yeah. was. Um, that sounds like it. Like I said, you know, it's, it's you know, when I, when I was working in Westmoreland County, I would go into court and the only black faces in the court would be me, 
and my my juvenile delinquent. White judge, white DA, white public defender, white deputy sheriffs, you know, white court reporter. Everyone in the room is white. Man, when I came down to where I am now and I first went to court, every everything's black. Everybody was black. And it was amazing. Um, it's just it's a different kind of feeling when you see that. Um, so yeah, I, I can definitely, definitely, definitely relate to you on that. How how was it down there with you, Brittany? I think you were I- like what, the Houston area? Yeah. It's a lot of black folks. It's great. <laughs> I would probably say like 60% black people. Mm. So I feel very comfortable. Yeah, I've never had I've never had I mean I I uh, got hired and retired from the same agency. Um and I've never never had that. I mean, I, you you see you've seen black faces throughout the, my career in different positions, not necessarily in my agency, but in the courts, uh, working with other agencies of anything I might do or something like that. There are some agencies that have a whole lot more black people um, than, than the agency that I was in. I was in an agency that was, oh, about 25 miles east of Oakland. Uh, obviously, when you go to Oakland Police Department, you have a whole lot more black officers with the Oakland Police Department than you did in the department that I was in. Um, I was near that 580, 680 interchange for those of you who might be familiar with Northern California in that area, uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, but uh, for the long longest, I was the only black face in my department. And for me, I mean, it I can't really say it, it felt uncomfortable. I mean, black folks have been used to going to agencies or uh, companies, whatever your line of work is, where you are not, the, you, you're the minority and most of the employees are white. I mean, Black folks have been doing that for decades. We've always had to work in environments where you may not have a lot of people in that company or agency or whatever you work that look like you. You see what I'm saying? Um, but for me, it wasn't uncomfortable. I did the job, the, the guys that I worked with, I got a lot of respect for. I learned a lot from. I never felt like I was the black guy in the department. You know, I always felt like I was an officer in the department. You know what I'm saying? So that's fortunate for me. I don't know if that's the same experience. I'm sure that's probably not the same experience for everybody that's in that kind of situation. But for me, it was. So I don't have anything bad to say about that aspect. And slowly but surely, some other black people started to come on, took a long time, but they started to come on to the force. And, um, it, you know, it, it is what it is. But just to give I some try- perspective, what year did you start in law enforcement? I started when I was 24. So that was been 94. And I retired just last year, August of last year. Um, love the department I worked for. Love the, com- the community love their department. So, you know, we didn't, we, I didn't live, I didn't work in a community where you hit the street and you had everybody flipping their middle finger at you or throwing something at you or something like that. You know what I'm saying? The community supported their police department a, a big deal, um, which is not the case in every city. I understand that. So, I mean, you know, um, it is what it is. I just, I, I, but back to what your original question was. Yeah, I would love to see more black people in, in the, as police officers. But people who are kind of like opposed to it or scared, Corey, what kind of advice would you give them to make them feel more at ease, like they could do it too? 
and they should do it. And yeah, they, and they should. I mean, they, they have to, first of all, they have to follow their heart. For me, uh, being in law enforcement is something that I always wanted to do ever since, you know, Mike and I, we, we were growing up. Uh, I wanted to be in law, uh, in law enforcement in some type of way, uh, either was, you know, being an attorney or probation officer, FBI agent, something, I had to be something within law enforcement, but then that all changed. And uh, cause I started out going into college first and then uh, ended up in the military. Uh, but that's another whole segment <laughs> within itself. Um, but, you know, I, I would say follow your heart, follow what's, what's, what's passionate, what you're passionate about. I mean, Mike would tell you that he never wanted to be in law enforcement, but uh, that all changed. But, I mean, it, it's something I think that um, uh, it, it's, it's within you. It's, it's, for me, it's who I am. I am law enforcement, even though I'm no longer with the department. Uh, we're doing this brother-in-law because that's that burning passion still in me that wants to to, to still make a difference. You know, I, I like to feel like every time I was going to make a traffic stop, I was, you know, saving somebody's life, uh, making a difference within their life. So if you're that person and that's how you want to impact change, then yeah, you know, by all means, be a police officer. Uh, it's a dangerous profession, yes. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you think and you look back of what you've done, I mean, it's it's very it's a very rewarding profession, and we need good law enforcement officers um, that look like the four of us. Um, what do you say to people who think black people in law enforcement they call them sellouts? What what's your take on that? I, I think the ones who are who are saying that are the sellouts uh, okay. because. <laughs> Because you're selling your own race short. True. You, 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 you're doing all the talk, but you ain't taking none of the action. Facts. Right? Yeah. So we, we always talk about, you know, making a difference. And uh, one of our videos, um, Mike and I talked about, I think it was characteristics of a good officer, Mike, correct me if I'm it wrong. Might we, it might have been that one. Where we talk about, you know, that that type of characteristic, which you, you need to, to be to be a good officer. And that's what we have to get over, because um, I've been called uh, the Uncle Tom. Oh, you a sellout. Uh, you 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 the, you wanted a so-called good old boys. You and mm-hmm. that good old boy network. Um, like, no, I'm out here trying to make a difference. I'm not going to sit behind a cell phone or and complain about oh the police this the police that no you want to pack change you get your butt up and go do it yeah be that probation officer be that law enforcement officer be the uh county clerk be a, a, a sheriff deputy you be something you know yeah. this is how we put an end to this uh so-called uh police just gunning down black folks and which is a lie um on a daily basis you want to pack chains get off your rear end and go do something quit complaining it, about it and do it, something hey you know what uh it's it's difficult though today uh because of what you see in the media a lot of these young people today True. what they see in the media it's no longer cool to be a cop it's it to, in their eyes unfortunately not in every not in every young folk today, but but in in in, a, in too many young people today, I think that in their eyes, being a police officer is a negative thing. 
because they see negative things on TV and they may not even have personal experiences that are negative them personally, but because of what they see on television, they, I think they think that it's just, it's no longer cool to be a police officer. It's no longer an honorable position to be a police officer. It's no longer, you know, people don't look up to police officers anymore. Or they don't trust police officers anymore. And I think because of all those negativity things coming at you, they are just naturally going to develop a false perception that being a, the police are the enemy. And that's what that's what Corey and I want to change and, mm-hmm. and, you know, in some way, try to change that perception. And that's that's difficult to fight. The media is, is strong, man. <laughs> when you create yeah, something, you see it on the screen in front of you. These young folks today with social media and everything going on, it's it's a tough thing for them to battle to try to get into law enforcement. You might have some young folks out there really, you know, wanting to get into law enforcement. But because of their peers and what they see on the screen telling them otherwise, they probably shy away from it. And that's sad. We need law enforcement in all aspects of it, right? So I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, you know, that was our our, our video we did the week four last, media versus the uh, police. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we talk about that very same thing. You know, you can't, these young folks, and and I'm sure you guys experience in, in, in your uh, side of the field as well. You you got a lot of these folks out here letting somebody else's perspective be their reality, and you can't do that. Oh, yeah. So for 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 us, you know, on, on every traffic stop, you know, I, I've been said somebody said to me once before on, on a traffic stop, and they were black. Like you know, hey, you ain't gonna shoot me, are you? <laughs> hey, well, what kind of sense does that make? Why would I shoot you for what? Are you going to threaten me or any type of way? Well, no. I said, okay, well, why am I shoot you? So there, it's that mentality that these, these folks are, are, are hearing from the media and, mm-hmm. and from somebody else uh, and, and making it their reality that this is going to happen to them. And so like Mike said, it, it's, it's uphill battle and, and we got to be able to fight that battle. Um, and, and I'm sure it's probably that same way for you guys as well. Uh, getting it from, uh, from the, uh, probation pill folks of, you know, oh, you just out here to harass me cause I'm on probation. You, out to <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I've, I've heard you. That's you, everyone, you know, right? Am I right? Do you hear that? Have you guys heard uh-huh. that? All the time. You just waiting for me to mess Why up. Why y'all harassing me? Because it's my oh, job to pull search, man. You know? Uh, I, I can imagine. I, you know, it's funny because, um, like Corey was saying, I'm not one of those guys who always wanted to be a police officer. I never even thought about it. You know, growing up, I had, I can't even remember. I might have had one um, incident with police that, that and I was in the wrong with it growing up. And I was like sad, 17 years old. But from where I'm from, <laughs> I just didn't have a lot of interaction with police at all. You know what I'm saying, and and we never did anything about, to get in trouble either. That's true. That's true. We we you know we were pretty decent kids. We never really, really got into no real type of you know stuff to get the cops called on you. But you got to look at where we were from too. I mean, people just didn't call the cops like that in our neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? It just wasn't something that happened. 
But at any any rate, um, I didn't decide to be a cop until I was getting ready to get out of the military. I was six years in the in the army, and it's like, okay, if I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna get out now. Or or if I re-enlist, well, I might as well make a career out of the military because once you start going north to six years, well, you putting half a career in there already. So and it was a buddy of mine in the army that said, "Hey man, let's go to the academy. <laughs> let's put ourselves through the police academy." And I was like, "Hmm." I thought about it for a while. I knew I didn't want to stay in the army and the police department, the way that was structured, it was similar to the way of life of the military in some, in some ways. So I thought that would have been an easy transition. And I've always been a kind of like a people person where I can, I had strong communication with people, uh, communication skills with people. And I felt that that was something that I could easily transition over to. So that's what I did. Um, put myself through and got hired and been there ever since. But if uh, to young people today, if they want to be in that, that law enforcement career, number one, I say get to know your own police department where you live, okay? Know the names of the officers that patrol your particular neighborhood. Get to know them. Do a ride along with them. You know what I'm saying? See what their a day in the life of a patrol officer is like on, in your neighborhood, in your city. Uh, get go. Some police departments have something called like citizens academies or youth academies, like during the summertime, where you go. It's like a condensed little police academy for your particular local agency, and they teach you things about what that agency does, every unit in that agency, and what they do on on the street or in the department in inter- the internal workings of the, the of the department itself. So I encourage young people to expose themselves to law enforcement uh, outside of what they see on the media, outside of what they see on social media. Get to know your police department and 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 then make a, a educated decision as to whether or not that's a career you would be interested in. If you do have that interest in it, by all means, go forward. It's a great community. Um, it's a great career. Um, you get a pension. If you make it to retirement, you get a pension. Um, you get great benefits, great pay, um, depending on what part of the country you work in. In California is obviously one of the higher paid uh, states than like Ohio, you know, Ohio. I'm like, I don't know about that, but it depends on what your cost of living is. So you can't really look at it like that. Right. Uh, But I encourage young folks to get into it. If get into it, learn about it, get exposed to it. Know all about it and, and then make an educated decision of, of, of going to do it, whether that's probation, whether that's police officer, whether that's something working in the courtroom, whatever that is. Uh, uh, get exposure to it and learn about it on your own. Don't listen necessarily to social media and what you see on TV. But listen that's- to our podcast, though, OK? Because right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. That's it. That's what's up. I think I think part of the problem as we're getting into the whole, you know, law enforcement, policing, um, even, you know, probation and parole, I think part of the problem is, like, when I, growing up, when I grew up, I mean, I, just, I grew up in the 80s, so it wasn't like it was a long time ago, but um, I think part of the problems today is that, and it kind of has to go along, too, with getting more, more minorities in law enforcement, is that a lot of the police officers now, they don't even live in the cities that they, they work in. And I think that it kind of creates a disconnect because where as opposed to if you work somewhere, if you live in the same place where you work, 
you already kind of have that built-in respect where the community kind of already knows you, right? And you already know the community. You know that's little JoJo. You know that he acts a fool, but you know his grandma grandma lives two doors down. So if you run into him on the streets and you have a problem, you take him two doors down, let his grandma handle him because she will, you know? As opposed to, I think nowadays, it's kind of like you have officers that don't even live in the same county, not even less on even the same town or city. They don't even live in the same county. And then it feels to those residents that these officers are coming in and kind of being an occupying force, you know, because they're not from there. They don't know the culture of that city. They don't know the residents. Um, like when I was a juvenile officer, I lived in the county, but where they assigned me was the northern part of the county. And I lived in the center part of the county where my where my office was. That's not my fault. That's where they assigned me. That's the caseload they gave me. That's where they told me to go. So yeah, I would have a little bit of conflict with those youths. Well, you're not from here. You don't really know what goes on here. I'm like, man, I've been working here long enough that I pretty much know a lot of people. You know, I might not live here, but I know a lot of you guys. I know who's related to who, who's family, um, you know, all that stuff. Where I'm currently, where I currently am right now, I live in the same city that I work in. And I think that is a positive. So I think one, it gives me more in, in uh, I'm more invested in what happens. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, holding people accountable, because I'm realizing if you're out there, you're on my caseload and you're out there, you know, doing what you're doing, committing crimes, violating, eventually that's going to affect somebody I know or love because you were all in the same space, you know? So I'm going to do what I have to do, um, you know, whole, in terms of holding you accountable. But I know there's, there's a, there's a lot of officers that I work with in my apartment. I live the next county over, you know? So I can see people, you know, I can, I can see how they can feel like, well, you don't live here. You're just coming in here to boss me around to me what to do. So do you guys think that's a problem? Cause I said, growing up, most of the officers that I interacted with, when I was in middle school and high school, um, all on a friendly level, they all live in the same town that I grew up in. You know what I mean? So there was always that connection. But I feel like now things are more, I don't know if this is a numbers game where, you know, departments can't get the numbers. They can't find people in that city that want to want the job. So they have to kind of open it up to surrounding areas. And like I said, then you get that occupying army type mentality that citizens have. Um, like the, uh, what's the example? The shooting that happened outside of Minneapolis, the one that happened uh, with, uh, I can't remember his name. Dwight Brown, where the um, girl mistakes her taser for the gun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. DeAndre, right. Yeah. yeah. That entire police department, not a single one of them lived in that city. The entire police department. That to me is a problem. You know, I, well, I, I'll go ahead, Court. I, I don't, it, it's, it's hard to say that now for, for us. It was, you had to live within so many air miles from your from the your area office uh which was, i think was 20 20 air miles you you had to with, live within uh other office now this is on a state level city level um i don't think there was any any restriction on where, where they could live uh first distance wise from the from the precinct uh, I, I just think it's just it it just has to do with cost of living where where are you going to, you know, they have to look at their family's perspective too, their, their wives or husband's perspective, you know, schools, uh, doctor's offices. It's a lot of, 
lot of things that they have to look at as to where, you know, where they're going to, you know, live. And everybody's not going to live within the inner city. You know, it, it's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, we, we make decent enough money. I, I'm not going to live on the other side of the railroad tracks. I, I'm not going to put my, my family in, in harm and then be work in harm. Yeah, it, it just, it just make, doesn't make good sense. I, I mean, but I, I see what you're saying, but even still, even in that situation with, with, with Mr. Wright and her, just because they didn't live in that area, it still would not have stopped him from doing what he was doing, which was resisting. Uh, because he had already had that made up in his mind what he was going to do. And even still, even if they lived in that area, that still doesn't mean that they would have known him. Like, and Mike would tell you here in just a second, uh, because he's, he's a city cop, uh, and they're assigned that, that certain area. So, you know, they're going to be out and about getting to know uh, the folks in that community. And, and on a state level, you know, if I wasn't working in a county somewhere, I mean, I'm up on the interstate, but we don't have jurisdiction. So even though I'm assigned to the uh, interstate, I can jump off the highway and get violators within city limits um, throughout the whole state. (laughs) Uh, I can go wherever I want, but I was assigned to that area. But that's part of you need to get out and, and know the people within your community. So it doesn't matter if you live, you know, outside the city limits, you know, in the next two counties away, you still can get out there and get to know, be proactive. The officers need to be proactive within those communities. So I don't really necessarily mean think that you have to live within, you know, X amount of miles from the, the precinct or in the hood uh, <laughs> to, to, to make a difference. Right. A lot of the police officers I know, they don't even want to live near their job. They feel like it's an oasis where I can go and, you know, be off work and and at home chilling. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting ready to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and tell us, Mike. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I was one of those officers that I chose not. Well, number one, the like Corey was saying earlier, the cost of living of where I work, uh, the, you know, I couldn't afford to live by a house in the city that I worked in. And the areas I could afford were not really desirable areas that I would want to live in. I mean, just to be real, whether I was a cop or not, they were not desirable areas that I would want to live in. Uh, And if you make enough money, you can afford to you can afford to provide a decent place for your family to live. And where you grew up or where you from is not always the best place for you to raise your family anymore. It might have been when you were growing up there, but it may not be. As, as you're an adult. So one of the reasons, that was one of the reasons I couldn't afford to. The other reason is when I drove around the city I worked, it was work. It looked like work. It felt like work. It was always work. So at the end of my 10, 12-hour shift or longer, when I left my work, I wanted to leave work. I didn't want to see work. I didn't want to see the city that I worked in. I didn't want to see the people that I dealt with. Uh, I didn't want to see them anymore. I wanted to get on that highway and go to a whole different city, a whole different county. Okay. I lived in a whole different county and I felt home where I, where I live now. 
it's I ain't got no connection as far as a law enforcement connection that is to the community that I live in, in the sense that I'm always looking at something that I need to correct or enforce or somebody that I dealt with or that I just took to jail uh, yesterday um, or something like that. That that was my thing. That's why most cops don't live where they work, because number one, it's it, it can be unsafe if you dealing with people that you arrest or you dealing with people that you had negative contacts with, which you will have plenty of negative contacts in your career, obviously. You don't want them to see you and your wife and kids going in the Safeway and them coming up to you saying, hey, man, you arrested me yesterday and I didn't agree with that. I ain't trying to get into that. You see what I'm saying? So that was the main reason why I chose, I definitely did not want to live where I work. Now, that being said, I do understand that there can be advantages to that. I just wasn't willing to accept those advantages and do the opposite of what I wanted to do. Um, you know, that, that was the big thing for me. Um, but like Corey was saying, whether or not you live there or not, it, as a patrol officer, you need to know the area that you patrol. You need to know the important people that live in the area that you patrol, uh, you need to know your area in the city that you patrol. That's a, that's what a good patrol officer does. And you need to treat them with respect, just like you treat anybody with respect. Uh, there's a time and a place for being authoritative, and there's a time and a place for just being non-authoritative, if you will, for lack of better words. Um, uh, and if, if you develop a good relationship where you get, the citizens get to know you, whether or not you live in that city or not, they get to know who you are. They get to know what they can expect from you and what they cannot expect from you. Uh, then I think you it really doesn't matter whether or not you live there or not, because they know you enough, you know, that that uh, you, you it's almost like you live there in their eyes because they see you all the time. You see what I'm saying? They make a point to get to know you. You make a point to get to know them, you know, which can be difficult on the police officer side. And I'll tell you why. Uh, a lot of times when I was on the street, I would do what they call consensual contacts, which is just, you know, you go up and say hi to somebody, you know, get out your car. You see somebody playing in the park or somebody, a picnic in the park or something. I used to get out my car and go over to and introduce myself. Hey, I'm, I'm Mike Bradley. I'm one of the guys that patrol your area during this time. You know, you guys having the picket guy here. Some people feel that that's confrontational. Some people naturally, when they see a uniformed police officer approach them, they automatically think, okay, this this guy about to act up, about to tell me something that I that's can't. That's me. That's me. That's you know how I'm saying? And that's not, <laughs> that's not the case all the time. That might be sometime, but that's not the case all the time. Um, Hey, I'm just here to, to, to let you guys see me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that's that I used to do that stuff all the time. Uh, and that's important because that's all about developing a relationship, a positive relationship with the community. Now, it can be difficult also because everybody knows that uh, being a police officer on the street during your shift is not all how you doing, hey, you know, have a good day. There are going to be some times where you, you're going to have to be authoritative. It is your job, job to enforce the law, and you have to be safe. There are things that, that I do or interact with the community that may come across as controversial or 
in their eyes too authoritative. But that's because that's a tactic that I'm trying to be safe and keep you safe. And I'm trying to be safe because I want to go home at the end of the day, too. You know what I'm saying? So that's, know, that's uh, a, go ahead, Corey. Uh, what state, though? It, it's hard. We, we can't get away like that so i mean like yeah, I said, I think, yeah. you know we you know you had to live within a certain uh radius of your your area your office uh but at the same time we went home with our vehicles where most most people don't they they share vehicles no not not us when you graduate the academy you 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 leaving with that vehicle that day uh and it's your responsibility so you know i i, I could never get away uh, no matter how far I, I, I move, you know, um, they see that car out there in my driveway. They come knocking at the door. Hey, hey, troop. Yep. Yeah, I found this wallet. OK, what you want me to do with it? <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in I'm in shorts and T-shirts and flip flop. OK, what you want me to do with it? <laughs> Call the city cops. Right. Call them to come tell me, you know, take it down there. Why are you? Why I just thought because you know you live three doors down from me, you know, I just come give it to you. I, I don't want it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it it it's it was it was so hard for us to really get away from it. You know, because they see you got that car. And some city guys, I think I, for our area here, the guys once they're I think it's five or six years they, they've been on the force, they can have a, a take home car. Uh, but for state, I mean, that thing, that blue and gray sitting out in your driveway, oh, you're going to get some knocks on your door. Uh, so, I, you know, I always carried a friend with me to the door because I don't know who's coming knocking. You don't come knocking on my door, man. Man. And that's that. I, I just, I just, if for state, you just couldn't get away. Like I said, they, they're going to come knocking on your door. But uh i i see your point it, it can be some frustration like you know well, you know they think that you know cops should live in that area but you know like we said it it depends on a lot of different varieties and then here's uh, the negative ahead, side here's the negative side to that what if you you do work in an area that you from right and you know Miss Robinson know you when you was when you was in the eighth grade. She knew you from way back in the day, right? Or or uh, little Kenny down the street, man. We grew up playing basketball together. Whatever it is, right? But now you in a position of authority. Okay, so if I got to give you a ticket, well, yeah, it's gonna feel odd. Me, get, I'm gonna feel weird giving somebody a ticket that I've known for a long time. Right. If I have to. Right. More than likely for me, somebody like that, if I've known you for a long time, I'm probably not going to give you a ticket. But you can't go through the whole shift doing that either. You know what I'm saying? You might come across 10 people that you knew growing up or whatever, but you might have to take some authoritative stuff or actions. Maybe you got to arrest somebody that you knew growing up. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to be in a position to do that. If I got to go to a domestic violence call and Little Kenny down the street that I knew growing up beat the mess out of his wife. I really don't want to be in a position where I got to arrest little Kenny because I knew this dude growing up and he was a cool dude. You know, we had a good relationship or I knew the wife growing up and now I'm in their personal business because I know all about what happened between you and your wife and and who got arrested and and all the details of it. Some people may not want me to know that because I did have a relationship with them growing up. You see what I'm saying? Or I am from that area and I know 
know the area real well. And I don't want to be in a position where I got to now not be that Mike from the block that y'all knew. And I got to be Mike. I got to be officer Mike now and, uh, and do something different. Uh, I know so with probation, you don't even have to. Oh, I'm sorry, cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I know with probation, uh, if you have somebody on your caseload who you knew or um, who you know or you're related to, you have to get that case switched out. We can't even supervise them. But how is it where you are, Chris? It's the same way, right? You can't supervise people you know, friends, family. Um, it's something that you would discuss with your supervisor. Um, I've, I've never had that issue. Um, well, one, I'm not originally from here, so I really don't know. I can't say I know a lot of the people that lives here. Um, but I mean, I do have friends. I'm in a fraternity. I have a lot of frat brothers that live in the, you know, live in the city. Uh, I'm sure if I came across a situation like that where, you know, when I end up in my caseload, I'd be like, hey, uh, I got to change this person out because this ain't going to work, you know. Um, but do they even allow it? Is it allowed if someone were uh, honestly, related? I, I, Honestly, I don't, I, I don't know. I can't particularly recall seeing that anywhere in a policy. I mean, we do have like, you know, off familiarity training. And of course there's, you know, PREA, Prison Rehabilitation Act, which does a lot with, you know, undue familiarity with people and things like that. Um, but I can't necessarily I've recall that I've seen a policy about that, but I'm pretty sure it's a situation where you just talk to your supervisor and get that, you know, transferred to somebody else's caseload. Um, have you ever supervised a celebrity this is so off topic no famous people here uh, oh no. really there was a few famous people that came through my office I didn't supervise them personally but yeah I think mean, it was kind of cool do they get treated any differently heck <laughs> you know what <laughs> you know they did you know they did you ain't got a front you know they did <laughs> my first instinct is to say of course not of course they don't get treated differently but you know how i go yeah. I, I tell you what i uh i didn't know till after the stop but i had uh gave my daughter's best friend a, a, a speeding ticket reckless driving at that <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't even know uh, well, it was him until, until after the fact. I said, man, why didn't you say something? It's like, oh, it's all right. It's like, all right, just come to court, man. We'll take care of it. <laughs> and so I immediately got on the phone and called my daughter. It's like, ah, you never guess who I pulled over and gave me a ticket. And uh, I told her and she just fell out laughing. But, I mean, that was very freak. Like, I mean, I said, I, I patrolled three cities. And for me to get him out of the <laughs> three of all the people here, I was just like, okay, <laughs> but it, it it happens. Um, well, how did you come to find out that it was him, your daughter's best friend? Uh, he recognized me. Oh, because okay. it, it was years since I have I seen him, and and he's you know, all grown up now, full beard and everything. I didn't even pay attention to the name, you know. I don't really pay attention to people's names, you know. Uh, and so I, that didn't catch my eye, and then I went back up. So he said, hey, uh, hey, Trooper, is your daughter name? Oh, do you have a daughter? I said, yeah. Did she go to such a high school? I said, yeah. He's like, I thought that was you. I thought that was you. He says, me, it's true. I was like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> I 
man. You already started, you already started the ticket. You already, it's already yeah, started. All right, yeah, all right. Hey, it's done. He didn't sign it now, so it's, hey. Uh, yeah. I don't know. If you got that original copy still, though, you go. I mean, I still got it. Still I mean, Mm-hmm. But yeah, boy, on the other side, supervisors don't like seeing a lot of boy tickets. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I was like, yeah, man, just come to court, man. We'll take care of it. I rode him reckless driving. I, I could have took him to jail, uh, but <laughs> it didn't, you know, I, I I wouldn't have took it that far. I mean, you can let him go release him on a cent on a on a summons. But he yeah, was just it, speeding it, or what? Reckless driving. Yeah, it was reckless. It was reckless driving. It was reckless driving. Okay. What what, what, uh, what was he doing? What was yeah? Oh. Was that a combination of things? No, 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 no. Well, yeah, it was. Uh, he had a suspended license and reckless driving. Um, so I think it was eighty-five and a sixty. That's not bad. No, no, no but let me tell you something here. This, this no, is good old no, I'm kidding, y'all. No, you <laughs> this is good old Commonwealth State. <laughs> you didn't got him started now, see? Hey, this, this Commonwealth State here, boy. If you now, it says 20 miles over the posted speed limit, reckless driving. So if you're 80 and 60, depending on what county you're in, uh, you're probably going to jail. They there's some counties don't play. You know, but yeah, eighty five for me that was a little bit pushing the envelope. Me, I mean, but yeah, you kind of court we could take care of. Don't now, worry. keep in mind, this is like a traffic good guy that y'all talking about. You know, Corey wrote tickets, wrote a lot of tickets. That was his thing, <laughs> right? For me, I mean, reckless driving, you got to have unless you're going a hundred miles an hour over. You know what I'm saying? You usually got to have uh, at least three violations: speeding or moving violations for, oh, for right. us to go reckless driving. But, uh, you know. <laughs> the troopers out this way, they will get you for reckless driving. We had so many people on probation for reckless driving. It's ridiculous. I'm like, really? They arrested you for this? Yeah, you something about Texas. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because out in California, a lot of those DUIs get reduced to reckless driving. Yeah, um, here too, yeah. That, that happens there too? Okay. So that, that's why you see that out here most of the time. Well, yeah. no, I read the offense report, and these people are speeding, and they're getting probation. Like, what? Yeah. Let me tell you about folks in Texas. They get, they get that act right juice when they get here over here to VA. Uh, you, you're going to follow our speed limits here. You're going to get some of that act right juice. Uh, don't come over here. because te- I don't think y'all obey speed limits over there, do you? <laughs> Excuse me. Then they paid. They passed that law where everybody can carry a gun in Texas. Man, it's the wild, wild west out there now, right? Hey, we rough so. and tough I, out here. You are. You, you are. They said we just. I just got back from Texas, uh, probably about the middle of March, and uh, in Houston area. We was down in Houston. And uh, man, I'm sitting here, you know, I'm doing the speed limit and I'm thinking I'm driving Miss Daisy. Like everybody was just blowing past me, like shoom, shoom. I'm like, where, where the state police at? <laughs> I, 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 where the state police? We have to and avoid them like the plague. We, oh, I don't like the troopers. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's why you go so fast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, you got okay. it. <laughs> I so guys, um, <laughs> let, let's do as we're starting to wrap up some uh why don't you guys talk to us about the uh 
acronym CALM that you guys came up with. Um, you know, talk to the family about that and why you think it's important. And, uh, you know, don't be mad if me and Brittany play uh, Devil's Advocate. Oh, we love Devil's Advocate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like uh, the Devil's Advocate, so I know all about that. Go ahead, Corey. You want to start that in? Yeah, so when it's, I, I asked Mike to do the uh, uh, show with me, I had came up with the acronym. I said, okay, what, what can be uh, catchy that would, would draw people in and get them to understand uh, as citizens, they also have a responsibility of how to interact with law enforcement. So I, I, I came up with, with the acronym CALM, comply, answer questions, listen, and move on. <clears throat> and when you break down a traffic stop, how a ideal traffic stop su- supposed to go, because you always hear the routine traffic stop uh, word and there's and we all know there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop but however if you do these four basic things comply answer questions and move on there's no reason for you to uh, have a an, an altercation with the police officer no matter what type of police officer you get whether they're a butthole or they're you know remind you of, of your grandfather back in the day whatever level officer you get on that traffic stop if you comply do as they ask you to do if they ask you any specific question answer truthfully uh listen to their commands if they ask you to get out of the vehicle listen to what they're telling you about the violation and then move on whatever move on should be either getting that that ticket and driving off or if you had a violation which resulted in you uh, being arrested and going to jail, so be it. You don't argue with them on the side of the road because <clears throat> that's not where we're going to hold court. Somebody's going to lose in that. Uh, so you you fight your battle in court. I mean, and the way it is today, I mean, if you are right and 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 you were uh, mistreated in there, they, whatever documentation you have for that uh, stop, take it to an attorney. And I'm pretty sure if you got a legit case, somebody's going to take that case for you. You sue the department, you get your money, and you ride off into the sunset. But the bottom line is you got to move on. You are still alive. That officer is still alive. So we believe that if you listen and you comply to these, these four things, do these four things, you shouldn't have a problem. But it sucks when you're dealing with an officer who... I mean, you feel like your rights are not being upheld and you're saying comply. It's like you want me to comply with something and I think it's unconstitutional or I may know that it is. How, how would you, I guess, what would you say to that person who feels like they're being wronged? That's, that's a great question. Before you answer that, just kind of tack on to what Brittany's saying. Like, you know, uh, all right, you get pulled over. All right. You know, you get pulled over. Um, for whatever reason, let's just say this is say something to keep you were speeding, and we won't go crazy to say you're going 10 miles over the speed limit. We ain't gonna, we ain't gonna go, we ain't gonna go to a reckless driving, we will go just 10 miles over, okay? Mm-hmm. And you know, you have cops that you know, whether it's just because of the way they've been taught to do it or the way 
you know, they've decided they want to do it, you know, they'll do stuff like, hey, you know, um, hey, turn the car off and give me your keys during the traffic stop, just on a regular traffic stop. And I know your answer is comply. That's what the C and C and calm stands for is comply. Mm-hmm. To me, if I'm sitting there and like, you know, even if I was in law enforcement and you know, tell me to turn my car off, okay, I might turn the car off. Give me your keys. No, that's theft. You're stealing my property. I'm not going to comply with that. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, so how do you deal with those kind of situations where maybe the cop is just overstepping their boundaries or they just, in their mind, they've developed a particular way they want to do it because there really is no, there is no law that says I have to give you my keys on a traffic stop just because you ask for it. You know what I mean? So that's what, that's, those are the kind of things we're, we're asking about when those, they kind of, yeah. they go overboard. That's a good question. Um, uh, you, I think you got to look at it let me ask you this before I ask. If the officer took you, I'm gonna tell you why the officer. Uh, oh, I know why they do it. Oh, I know okay. why. Okay. Uh, and and for those for our listeners, if an officer tells you to turn your car off, um, first of all, we don't know yet why he stopped you. He or she stopped you. It could be something going on. You might fit the description of something more serious that's going on, and you just happen to be stopped. Uh, we don't know all that, but not knowing all that, if an officer tells you to turn your car off and give me your keys, that's because he don't want you to drive away. He don't want you to all of a sudden get a wild hair up your ass, for lack of better words, and drive off. So he wants to take your keys to make sure you cannot drive off. He ain't going to keep your keys, obviously. He don't want your keys. He just wants to make sure you don't drive off. That's all. Um, so uh, the comp, the comply part is probably the most important aspect of of communicating or interaction with police. Whatever the instruction is, even if you feel that it's not within their rights, like you can't do that, officer, or you can't do that, it, it, it's not uh, it's not important to uh, start that argument on the street right there. What's most important is that even if you think it's wrong or you it's something you don't want to do, as long as he ain't putting a you know a stick on your face or something like that, something crazy, um, it's more important for you to comply and do what they want you to do, whatever that is. Uh, and the reason being, because when you don't comply, that's you're starting to raise up red flags in an officer's mind. So if I tell you to if I tell you to turn your car off and you don't turn your car off, that's red flag number one for me. Like, okay, they refuse to turn the car. An officer's mind is strictly thinking tactical. He's not thinking of a personal thing like, I don't like you. You see what I'm saying? So that's why I want you to turn your car off. He's st- strictly thinking tactical in everything he is asking you to do or telling you to do. If he's asking you to step out of the car, now I'm going to throw you something. If he's asking you, to step out of the car. You can refuse. You can say, no, I prefer not to step out of the car. You know, it, it all depends on how you communicate with that officer that lets him know whether or not you are someone that is need to go on their way or need to be investigated more, right? If he, if he asks you to step out of your car and you say no, you are actually within your rights not to step out of your car. If he tells you to step out of your car, not asking, but he gives you an order to step out of your car, you have to step out of your car. Okay. That's case law. Case law requires that person. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
That's the Supreme Court case, Pennsylvania versus Mills. That's right. And, That's, and there's That's another right. one, too. There's a, but here's, yeah. my, here's my issue with it, is that okay. the average citizen, I know that I'm in law enforcement, okay? Right. I yeah. read up on the laws. I read up on that kind of stuff. The average citizen doesn't know this. Mm -hmm. I think that part of the problem with law enforcement on these traffic stops sometimes is that to them, and Corey, I know you can attest to this as a trooper, it's so routine to you because this is what you do day in and day out. You know all the rules. You know all the laws. You know the case laws. You know the actual state laws. You know all this stuff, okay? And to you, you're just trying to get in, get out, give your ticket, do what you got to do. If something raises some red flags, you might, you know, poke around, investigate a little bit, whatever. But for the average citizen, they don't know all this. That's right. So when right. you ask them yeah. to go ahead and step out your car, you know Pennsylvania versus them says you got to get out of that car. The average citizen doesn't know that. I think part mm -hmm. of the problem is that there's a lack of communication and then it becomes comply or die. And that's and that that's part of the problem that citizens have to deal with. Now, on the other hand, with probation officers, 99% of our job is a lot of communication. That's mostly what we do. We talk to people. We try to change lives. We get to know them. They don't get to know us at all. They don't know anything about us. They know I'm married because I haven't wear, wear a wedding ring, but that's about it. You know what I mean? They don't know nothing else about me. Um, and like I said, most of what we do is we, we talk to people. So that when we get to a point where we have to arrest them, it's we already have a kind of, we have that professional relationship where it's, hey, come on, man. We knew this was going to happen. Let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Let me take you down to the magistrate, put a bond on you, blah, blah, blah. But with, with, with law enforcement, like I said, it's, it's, I think there's a lack of communication on their part where they don't want to take the time to explain, hey, well, listen, I need you to get out of the car for this reason. The law says I have the ability to get you out of the car, okay, as opposed to just, I need you to get out of the car. And then they start right. escalating, escalating, escalating. The natural response to anybody is to, whoa, hold on, slow down. Why are you making me do this? Why? Start asking questions. And I think sometimes police take asking questions as non-compliance as opposed to that person doesn't understand. Some officers may take that as Go ahead, Corey. No, that's what I say. One of our videos we did was uh, uh, entitled um, Step Out of the Vehicle. Why? And when we go over this uh, very same thing here, um, again, trying to uh, hold court on the side of the road is not the time, right? So what we're trying to illustrate here, it, it's a two-way street, right? Law enforcement, police officer has uh, their job to do, right? Citizen has their job to do too. We need to come together. I'm going to tell you why I'm asking you to step out of the vehicle. If you're a DUI, yes, I may, I'm going to tell you to turn that vehicle off. I'm going to tell you to give me the keys and I'm going to place your keys on the top of the hood of your vehicle. That's where they will remain until we're done. You understand? And they will acknowledge. Right now, Mr. Chris, I need you to step out of this vehicle. Well, Mr. I don't, don't want to get out. Well, either I'm, I'm telling you to get out the vehicle. This is where Mike was, was saying. I'm telling you to get out the vehicle, right? Well, why? Why do I need to get out? Well, I smell the sense of alcohol. And to make sure that you're safe to drive, I need you to step out of the vehicle. I'm going to administer a few tests. 
uh, field sobriety test on it, make sure you're good to go. All right. Now step out of the vehicle. Right now you, you're going to get out of the vehicle. New don't. Well, now you, you're, you're telling all these red flags are going off. Now I got to get you out that vehicle. Oh Lord. Now my heart's pounding. <laughs> right. You, you, you're going to come out of that vehicle. Cause I don't have time for this on the side of the road. Right. I don't have time for this. Right. You're stopping me from continuing my investigation, which is to make sure you are good enough to drive down this road. Now, my question to we, why don't you get out of the vehicle? Because you know you drunk, probably. <laughs> <laughs> or you got something, you got something in that car you don't want me to see. You don't want me to come across. Right. These are all the red flags that are going up. Now I got to get you out of that vehicle. And then as soon as I put hands on you, sir, come on out the vehicle. I'm going to escort you out the vehicle. You're going to try to resist. And that's where, where it's game on. So that's where, hey, just comply. If you didn't do nothing, then comply. Even if you did something, comply. Even if comply, you did, comply, yeah, comply. If, if you did something, comply. You can't say that enough. It, it is, it, you know. Matter of fact, if you did something, even more so comply. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, I'm going to back it up a little bit, Corey, if you don't mind. I'm going to back it up a little bit because uh, I do understand what Chris is saying. The average citizen, they don't know Just all enough. the case laws. They don't know what the officer can and can't do. They don't know those things. You see what I'm saying? And like Chris was saying, I do understand someone who has no knowledge of how to interact with police may have a negative response that can get them into trouble. Uh, and that's why, number one, well, well, number one, that's why we do this show, right? Because we want to tell people what they should do, no matter what kind of officer you come across, whether it's a good officer, whether it's a bad officer, whether it's a rude officer, whether it's a, a nice officer, uh, whether it's a racist cop or not a racist cop. Comply is straight across the board. You always want to do what they tell you to do. And if you don't know that, learn these shows. And if you don't agree with it, if you don't agree with them telling you to do something, that's okay. Okay. What's important, though, is that you do it. Okay. Whether you agree with it or not, the time to argue about it is just not on the street. Because if you think about it this way, if I do a traffic stop on you and I have to spit out case law and explain to you on every little step that I'm telling you to do. And I got to explain to you and argue with you about whether or not I have a legal right to do it. We kind of wasting our time here, are we? I mean, it's unreasonable for an officer to have to explain every little single step and then debate about it on the street while I'm doing the traffic stop for whatever reason I stopped you for. You see what I'm saying? An officer isn't going to do that. They're not going to debate every little single step. Sir, I need you to get out of the car. Well, why do I need to get out of the car? Because this is why I need you to get out of the car. Well, I don't agree with that. I'm afraid. I can't get out of the car. Okay, well, now we're in a stalemate here. Well, what's an officer going to do if you're in a stalemate? How long am I going to continue to explain to you this is why I need to get out of the car? Or after I've explained it to you, maybe you don't accept my explanation. Now we're in a well, are we going to sit here on the side of the road and argue about it? Well, obviously not. I got to get you out of the car. Well, sir, 
I'm going to have to force you to out of the car if you don't step out of the car on your own. I prefer you step out on your own. I do not want to have to put my hands on you. That's me personally as an officer. I don't want to have to put my hands on you at all. I don't want to. If I got to put my hands on you, then I, the only thing I want to do is cuff you and, and, and take you to jail. You see what I'm saying? Other than that, I ain't trying to put my hands on you. But I need you to do what I'm telling you to do so I don't have to force you to do it. That's all. Now, if you don't agree with it after the stop or the contact is over, then you can file a complaint with the police department. You say, he did this to me. He did that to me. He did that to me. Uh, I don't agree with it. I would like this investigated. No, they're they're required to investigate any complaint that comes across their desk. All officers, at least today, most officers have body cameras. In our department, we had a body camera on. We were required to activate that body camera on every contact we make for citizens, especially traffic stops. And that in our department, when you file a complaint like that on a traffic stop or or any kind of contact, the first thing that watch community is going to do is I need to see that body. Let me see that body camera. In most cases, that watch commander will allow that citizen to come in and would you like to come in and view this body camera footage with me? so that you can point out what the officer did that you said was wrong. And then we can talk about that. You see what I'm saying? Now, I don't know if that that's probably not a standard across the country. I understand that, but it was in our department. That was something common that took place. And most of the time they look at that body camera and they can't justify, or they can't explain why whatever they said the officer was doing turns out not to be the case or whatever he did turns out to be justified. Okay, and then the complaint goes away because they sat down and looked at the camera. The point we want to make is you don't want to argue and not comply while you on the street in contact with the officer, because everything you don't do that the officer is telling you to do sends up a red flag that something more might be going on here. You know what I'm saying? Or like Corey was saying, is there some reason you don't want to get out of the car? Are you actually planning on? driving away because you know you got a warrant and I didn't run you yet and you think you got a warrant so you might try to take off when you get the opportunity to do so. Um, Well, I'm going to take your keys, put them on top of this hood, or I'm going to take your keys to make sure you don't do that. And once I determine everything is on the up and up, here you go. Here's your keys back, sir. If I'm going to give you a ticket or not, okay, I'm done with the investigation. You move on your way. You know what I'm saying? So the first, the first acronym comply is the most important of all <laughs> you got anything on that court <coughs> uh, yeah you just like I said that's you, you got to do your documentation make sure it, it, as as a citizen that you're making all your mental notes and then uh take the correct course of action and file the complaint either uh, go to the uh, precinct and file the complaint. And, and over here, uh, it's pretty much the same way here. Our supervisors, once a complaint is is made, they are obligated to uh, follow through with that uh, complaint and give a response back to uh, the person making the complaint. Uh, so I, it, I, I would say it's, I don't know if it's consistent throughout the country, but I would say a, a, a lot of precincts probably do something according uh, along those lines. 
Um, but you just you can't. It's not worth trying to hold court on the side of the road. Yes, we know you're not going to know uh, all case law and the the the, the laws themselves. Uh, but you know that's not for you to debate on the side of the road. Um, and, and you know again, something real, real quick, real quick. Something else to add on to that too, though, on the officer side. What is important for the officer is a good officer is, number one, going to know how to communicate with somebody like that. If they're going to say, I don't want to get out of the car. I think as an officer, sometimes you might have a legal right to get them out of the car, but you also need to consider whether or not it's worth it. You see what I'm saying? Whether or not it's worth getting into a. Yeah, you got to You got to understand if I'm just stopping you for a speeding violation and I'm pretty much convinced that that's all I have here, and I'm pretty much convinced that all I'm going to do is write you a ticket. Uh, I, number one, I don't see any reason why I'm having why I would ask you to get out of the car, you know. Um, so if that's if that's all I'm going to do, or if I'm even just going to talk to you, sometimes you might have other occupants in the car that I stopped you and maybe you are DUI or I suspect that you are DUI because I smell alcohol in the car or I smell marijuana in the car. Marijuana is legal. I know, however, you still can't drive under the influence of marijuana, obviously. So if I smell marijuana, I have to make sure that the driver is not high while he's driving, right? So that's another reason why somebody might ask you out of the car. But it's important for you as an officer to be able to communicate that with the person you're dealing with. Now, I ain't saying you got to argue with them. And I'm not saying that at some point you might have to go hands-on and get them out of the car, unfortunately. Uh, but but there are some circumstances where, as an officer, I didn't want to be overzealous. I didn't want, if, if, if it wasn't that important to me as an officer, if it wasn't worth it getting into a physical confrontation with some over this violation, then I'm not going to do it, whether I have a legal right to do it or not. Uh, and I think that's the you might come across some officers, Chris, that maybe jump the gun and take it too far. That doesn't mean that they weren't within their rights. OK, I, I just think the end result turns out as an officer, in my mind, may not have been worth it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I, I understand that. What, what he's talking about too, Chris, is what we're, we're, we're all trained on is what, and, and maybe to, to you guys as well, we're trained on what's called ver verbal judo, right? What do I need to say to get you to comply with what I need you to do, right? And so uh, quick, short commands, do these things. And, and remember, when you're not doing these things, that's all going to be laid out, hey, in court. You know, especially yeah. if it's a traffic violation or whatever, DUI, uh, because here uh, the judge is always going to ask the officer, hey, trooper, were they polite and cooperative with you? And if the answer is no, I'm going to lay it all out. Matter of fact, uh, one time <laughs> I had a gentleman call me every every name in the book, but trooper and, and the name my mother gave me. Uh, and I had to go hands on with him. Um, and I laid it all out. He, he asked that question, Trooper, was he polite and cooperative with it? And I kind of politely smiled at the judge and said, no, Your Honor, this is what he told me. And he, 
laid it all out there. He's like, all right, true. That's enough. I don't need to hear no more. Guilty. So complying goes a long way. Right? Answering I questions. Say, I just want to add that I just want to say that with the comply part needs to come, I think the communication on the officer's side. I just think there are some officers out there that are con- that are comply well, or die. It's either you do what I tell you to do when I say to do it right now, or there's going to be, or I'm going to, they're going to escalate, which we all know because we're all taught you're supposed to de-escalate situation. They teach you that in probation. Um, I know they teach you guys that too. I think there are, there are some officers out there that. Or they do let the power of the badge go to their heads, and the same thing happened in probation. I have some officers that I work, I've worked with in the past, where you know I'll walk by their office and this, the way they talk to the offender, you know what I mean, so it's talking down to them, and it'll bring mm-hmm. these not her head because I know she's she's experienced that we've talked about it before, mm-hmm. and you're just like you know, right or wrong, whether they're violated or not, you don't talk to people like that, you know what I mean, and I mm-hmm. think there are some officers that do kind of let the the badge and the power go to your heads and then you know they don't want to communicate effectively um or try to verbal judo or try the escalated situation and it's either you do what i tell you to do or they just jump to force and you, you'll see you know i've seen videos where you know we're talking about within 30 seconds of them starting traffic stop they're already you know going hands-on with somebody that's way too quick that's way too quick there's no time to talk there's no time. It's as soon as the person said no or they asked them a question back, then it was just like escalate, 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 you know? Um, but I mean, I totally understand comply. And I and I definitely agree with it. Um, now, keep in mind, what, what, we're also, what we're talking about is, is reasonable people. Like, we know both of you get stopped you're going to do these things because you know the proper way to handle it, right? But a lot of times, most of the people that gave me flat and I had to go hands-on were people that are never going to watch these videos. Mm-hmm. Right? You I know... Lined up. Right. They're, they're criminals. They're criminals. They're, they're violators. They're going to violate no matter what, no matter how you talk to them. But there are those out there that you know, they're good citizens that they're law-abiding citizens may, you know, feel, and that goes back to how media is portraying law enforcement. And remember what I said earlier, we can't let somebody else's perception be our reality, right? So, you know, when you start doing all these, you know, thinking that you got in your head or your so-called rights some people don't be honest and i know you guys know this in your line of work a lot of these folks really don't know their their rights mm-hmm. now, look at Brittany. go ahead Brittany. <laughs> right i mean so and i'm not gonna stay on the side of the road and, and go through all of that with you um and sometimes you know i'm not gonna we know mike and i know they're they're bad they're bad apples out there and um, and they need to be dealt with accordingly. They're, and they're black and they're white. Mm-hmm. Right? It, 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 it doesn't evil doesn't discriminate with color. It's straight across the board. I and I I definitely understand where you come from too, though, uh, Chris, because um, uh, 
let me get back on my train of thought here. Uh, communication skills. You do have some officers where you, I think the power goes to their head. Uh, you typically see that in young guys, the young, young officers that, you know, five years or less on the job, you typically see that they seem to approach people in such an authoritative way that they're just barking orders at. You see what I'm saying? And I think when you get more experience as an officer dealing with people on the street, uh, you start to realize that your contact with someone usually, not all the time, usually should start off in a de-escalation manner because most people are upset by you stopping them in the first place. People don't typically like authority. People don't like to be told what to do. As an officer, you when you start to gain experience of dealing with people on the street, you, you know how you need to approach certain people. Um, I agree in the sense that you don't need to be my way or the highway right out the gate, right out the gate. You need to, you, in other words, you need to ask before you order, you know, sometimes that's oh, not always my case. phone. Hold on. Go ahead. What? Say that one more time. You, sometimes you need to ask before you order. Not always. Sometimes you need to order before you ask, but on a normal contact, regular enforcement or non-enforcement contact, uh, you need to ask before you order. And I'd, I have seen that amongst young guys or gals where they are just so stern talking to somebody. They, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Do this. Do that. It just comes across as too confrontational. You already in uniform. Some people feel that that's already confrontation. So you don't need to add to that unnecessarily. You see what I'm saying? Um, for me, I was always one of those guys that I did like to explain to you why I was having you do that. I stopped you from running the stop sign. I like to take right out the gate. I'll tell you why I'm stopping you if it's an enforcement contact. I like to tell you right out the gate. This is why I stopped you. And what, what does that do? It turns into, well, yes, I did. I stopped, officer. No, you didn't. I'm sitting there watching. Well, I'm not going to debate. I said, now I'll have to skip over the conversation. And I'll say, okay, listen, I'm not going to argue with you, ma'am or sir. Uh, uh, you did run a stop sign. I don't need to see your driver's license, registration, insurance, right? Uh, sometimes they'll continue to argue. Well, at what point? We got to cut that off at some point. We can't stand there all day and argue with you. So I try to be non-confrontational and non-authoritarian initially, right? But there comes a time where you have to change over to that. But I agree with you, communication is key. There are a lot of times that just simply how you talk to someone uh, can determine whether or not that contact ends up as a hands-on contact or not. You know what I'm saying? I've come across some hardcore criminals you know, just straight up, you you know them. They all in the system. They know the deal. You know what I'm saying? Whether they on parole, probation, or whatever it is, or they just well known for doing for either drugs or theft or whatever the criminal activity are. I'ma still approach them like a human. You know who I am. He or she knows who I am because maybe I've contacted them before, more than likely. Okay, and and but I'ma still talk to them in a normal way. I need you to do this. And this is why I'll explain to him. I'm stopping you because you're on probation. You know, you have a search cause. So, you know, I'm just going to search you while you, 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 while I'm talking to you. And I, you know, they know, they already know why you searching them, how you can do that. 
You see what I'm saying? Average citizens, even more so when you don't know anything about them and you know that they don't know the laws or they don't know what you can and can't do to them. And let's say they already have this perception of police that is negative right out the gate. Like, man, you stopping because I'm black. Oh, you know, that that's a very common thing. Every black person you come across sometimes that seems like that's going to be their main perception is you stopping because I'm black. Right. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, I didn't even see what color you were until I got up here to this window. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, you got to talk to them. It's important how you communicate with them. And you got to know as an officer when you need to be authoritative and when you don't need to be authoritative. Like Corey was saying, it's all about getting them to comply even when they don't want to comply. And if you can do that simply by your words, man, that's an excellent officer right there. But understand it don't always work like that. An officer might have to put their hands on you right out the gate. When I, it's, let, let me give you an example of that. Uh, if we get a call of a male with a green shirt, blue jeans, had a gun tucked in his waistband um, and was threatening someone with it. Let's just use that as a loose call. I roll up in the area. I see a guy with a green sweatshirt and jeans on. I don't see a gun in his waistband because I just see the color description right out the gate. Well, when I see that, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get out. I'm not going to just be sunshiny and polite. I'm going to talk to that person as if he might have a gun. So what I mean by that is I'm going to give him more direct commands, more authoritative commands. Let me see your hands. It's been once I see that I can see his hands up like this, or if I go hands on, I might grab his hands. I might pat him down real quick or something just to see is is this justified of what they're saying that you got a gun. You know what I'm saying? Um, I might put him under some kind of control first. Right. Because I don't want this guy, if he did have a gun, I don't want to be unsafe and just walk up to him like Willie Schmo said, hey, you got a gun on you? You know what I'm saying? He might, yeah. Boom. You know, he got a split seconds to pull that gun on me. Right. So an officer has to take control of a situation like that more quickly, uh, more authoritatively. And then once I got you safe in a safe position, then let's talk. This is why I'm stopping you. This is why I'm stopping you this way. This is why when I saw you, I pulled up on you. I drew my gun on you, if that's the case. This is what I like to explain those things after I get you in a safe thing. Sometimes I've had it where I come up on somebody like that and they start asking questions immediately. Why are you stopping me? What's going on? What's going on? I'll tell them and I'll quickly tell them, look, we got a call that you had a gun on you. You fit the description that quick while I'm in the same motion of making that person safe, whether it's handcuffing them, whether it's patting them down, whether it's having them sit down on the curb, whatever that safe is, that's what I'm doing is making you safe. I want to make sure you're not a threat to me or a threat to someone else. And I obviously need to do that very quickly because this is what the call for service was. But that person that I'm stopping, he or she may not know that that's what that call for service was. Well, I don't necessarily always have the time to explain all those details at my initial contact. You see what I'm saying? Because in my mind, it's safety first. I want to make sure you're safe and you don't have a gun that you're going to pull out on me. So let me get you safe 
sir, this is why I'm, I'm stopping you for this reason. This is what, you, what I'm doing. I did it. Now he'll ask us. Now, listen, let me answer your questions. This is why I rolled up on you this way. This is why I handcuffed you. This is why this response was this way, because we got a call for service of A, B, C, and B. So a good officer is always going to explain him or herself once the scene is made safe. You know what I'm saying? Now, that could come across as, you know, this cop, I'm just walking down the street, and these cops just rolled up on me, guns drawn. I didn't know what was going on. Had me proned out on the curb or on the roadway. That could happen. And unfortunately, that's not a good look because to the public, they don't know all the details behind that. They just know what was shown on the video at that time or what that person, what was in that subject's mind when they were stopped by the cops. So they don't know all that other stuff. And it just looks like harassment. It does. Right. It does. So, I mean, and I, I, I understand what you're saying, Mike. I really do. But from the outside looking in, because I'm looking at it from, like, I carry a gun every day on me. I'm always strapped. I, mm-hmm. I always have it on me. Granted, I also usually have my badge with me, but it's always concealed. So mm-hmm. my thing is, if I'm that citizen where I'm just walking down the street and a cop just rolls up on me automatically, you know, guns drawn, get on the ground, I don't know what's going on. I'm just walking my dog. I have no clue what's going on. And and I understand from the officer's perspective is, okay, you got to call for service. Now, we all know, and you guys know, not everything in that call is always true. True. All right. True. But you gotta assume some things some things you better assume it's true until you prove otherwise. You see what I'm saying? I just feel I just feel from my perspective is that it can be handled better than just pull up real quick, go real hands-on real quick, and then worry about explaining later. And I understand, like I, said, I understand your position, but I also, I'm also a person who likes to see things from other people's point of views. And if I'm that person where, who that thing is that that is happening to, right? Whether I did something or I didn't do something, it to me it's okay. I'm going to approach you. First of all, I'm going to radio it in. Hey, I got the I got the subject over here with a green shirt. Let me get another unit. You know, code two or code three, whatever the yeah. situation is, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. When I get out and make contact, I'm going to have my hand on my gun. I'm not automatically going to pull my gun. Now, unless he has a gun in his hand at the moment. Hey, my man, I got to talk to you real quick. Hey, can you just keep, you know, keep your hands where I can see them? That's, to me, that's reasonable. I, you know, I think the average citizen can, can deal with that. Okay. Hey, listen, we got a report. You got a gun. I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to check you real quick, okay? To me, that's reasonable. But to just hop out the car automatically, you know, Hands in the air, you know, get on the ground. Um, this I'm mean, start grabbing people. Mm-hmm. That's how I think things look bad because you know automatically what's going to happen. Everybody's going to pull that cell phone out. Well, law enforcement, you know, law enforcement ain't designed to be pretty. But I see where you're saying. But, but here's the thing: if, if 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 I get that call like that. I'm not gonna allow you to be up one up on me. Right? Because now I have to do the investigate to figure out if you got the gun or not. I will probably pull my gun out. I probably won't point it directly at you, but I will have it 
close to if you do have a gun on you until I can determine otherwise, I'm not gonna let you get the jump on me. I understand it's, that. You want to have a strong hand grip, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I understand all that. But I think okay, it's sometimes so, it's so, so overreaction. Well, I think it I think it depends on the call for service that the officer is getting. I right. see what you're saying, how it could be an overreaction. Maybe, maybe the call for service that came out, like you said, maybe the guy never actually had a gun. And in that guy's mind, who never had a gun, that would be a perception that he would have that this is an overreaction. I don't even have a gun. I can understand why that person would have that perception. He might have that perception, especially if you don't know nothing about how police operate or how they, the tactics that they use in certain calls. You see what I'm saying? I can understand that person having that perception, but that's why it's important that even if you have that perception, comply. Still do what they do because you don't know what the perception of those officers have based on the call for service that came out on the radio or on their, whatever, however they got. You don't know what their perception is. It may seem extreme to you as the suspect or subject or whatever, the person, you know, the person who fit the description and all that. Okay. But you, it's important that you still do what the officers are telling you to do because you don't know what the officers are thinking. You don't want them to think that you do have a gun. You don't want them to think that you are getting ready to do something that they don't want. So I understand what you're coming from, but that's, that's a, that's a fine line that you got. You got to find the balance as an officer. If I pull my gun out on you or if I pat my gun, hand on my gun or hand on my gun, um, that's because me, I'm protecting my safety first. So until I find out whether you got a gun, if you don't have a gun, I need to prove that before I act like you don't have a gun. You see what I'm saying? Because it was reported to us that you had a gun. So we're going to go I, off of that I, first. That's all. I agree with you. And I think the, the key really is to try to find that balance. And I do think there are yeah. some officers that just overreact. Um, and I don't know if that's just a lack of experience, lack of training, um, always having that that fear mentality. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I do think sometimes you have, you have to track a balance because you have always have to look at it from that citizen's point of view that if they did nothing wrong or they don't have a gun or they are the wrong, wrong subject, how do they feel and how do they view what just occurred? Because in reality, that can happen to any of us. True. Like and that's why it's important. That's why it's important that after they make that contact and they get that person safe, to me, that's why it's important for them to ex then explain why they had him like that, why they contacted him like that, so that he'll know. This is why I know you have a perception that we came overboard for, for, in my opinion, as an officer, as far as safety is concerned, it's never overboard. There's no situation overboard when safety is. If you talk about somebody with a gun or who threatens somebody with a gun, okay, ain't no such thing as overboard. Your job as an officer is safety. You better handle that situation as if this guy has threatened somebody with a gun because that was what was reported. Now, if I choose to pull my gun out on you, fine. If I choose to have my hand on my gun, whatever that individual officer feels that they feel is necessary, that's justified because the call is a man with a gun threatening somebody with a gun. You see what I'm saying? That's all. And, but it's important to explain that to that guy because you're right. 
his perception is going to be, look, man, I'm just walking down the street. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Sit him down, explain to him. I think a lot of officers don't do that enough right there on the scene. Explain to that person. This is why I stopped you this way. This is why I had you stick your hands out the window of the car. This is why I'm taking your keys from you just temporarily. This is why I'm taking that knife out of your back pocket and holding on to it while I'm contacting you. I will give it back to you when this contact is over. You see what I'm saying? It's important for officers to explain those things on the scene once they've made it safe. This is what we're going to do because I I know my (laughs) co-host. She's she's getting hungry. I can see it in her face. She gets hungry. The podcast takes a, a turn for the worse. This is what All we're right. going to do. Two Hats Family, down in the comments or down on our IG page or in the IG page for uh, the brothers-in-law, um, go ahead and leave some questions. We're going we're gonna to do a part two. We're definitely going to do a part two on this. Any That'd questions you guys have that you've ever wanted to ask a probation officer, everyone ask a police officer, um, leave those comments below. We'll compile them. You can leave the questions on their page, on their, on their YouTube page. Leave mm-hmm. on ours, leave it on either one of our Instagrams. And we're gonna do it, we're gonna compile all those. We're gonna do a part two, guys. All right. Because we don't want we don't want Brittany getting getting upset with us, especially when she's <laughs> throwing me under the bus. When she gets hangry, ooh, she, she's a totally different person. Everybody gets violated. Everybody going to jail. Everybody, so, everybody going to jail. Brittany ain't getting out the call right now. She ain't getting out the call. All right. <laughs> Trust me, Brittany ain't getting on the car. And she got that thing on her. And she wanted that thing loose. <laughs> I'm out, y'all. I'm out. Uh, but, hey, um, yo, Mike, Corey, hey, we appreciate you guys being on today. Oh, thanks um, for having us. This is, this yeah, is a, thank you for having a great us. episode. Thank um, you, thank you. Definitely, everybody, remember, please make sure you guys follow them. Uh, the Brothers-in-Law, um, they're on Instagram. I believe they're on Facebook. Uh, follow their YouTube page. Um, Definitely, you guys can follow uh, Brittany on her YouTube channel, your favorite PO. You can follow her on her IG page. Um, you know, you got everybody can follow the at Two Hats podcast IG page. Um, you guys can and I saw both quest. of them. You got some good info on there. I saw both of them. Yeah, good info on um, there. You guys can follow me at uh, the tactical probation officer. There's some underscores in there somewhere. And as you guys know, I'm very selective on who I let follow me. So if you get denied, don't be mad. Just Lord, y'all mad. just follow me. Don't even try to follow Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you can try, man. Chris is like, uh, no. <laughs> so just kind of keep that in mind. But hey, guys, we thank you again so much. This is a great conversation. We're definitely yeah. gonna do part two. Um, ask all your probation and police questions below. However, you guys are listening to this, ask the questions. We will get you the answers.